0: Welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. All right, so it's good to um, start with a confession to you all. I have to confess that I, Luke Barnes, have a lazy eye, okay? I've had this lazy eye ever since I was born. You're not even shocked by this confession, It used to actually be a cross eye, so it would go all the way into the side of my head, my right eye. And growing up, I had to wear one of those patches for several years. And the hope of that patch was that you would blind my good eye in order to strengthen my bad eye. That did absolutely nothing but hinder my ability to see. And also, it helped my brother and my classmates come with lots of ammunition for teasing. So I know all too well how important good eyesight is, good vision is. Vision helps your body function properly. And that's my excuse for why I can't play baseball. I have no depth perception whatsoever, so I have to just guess where the ball generally is, which that doesn't work in baseball. As I've gotten older, unfortunately, my, my one good eye, the one that I could always rely on, that started to fail me as well. And my vision is poor, and I know that some of you have this very same struggle in your life. And for some of us, it's an annoyance. But for others of us, it's, it's actually dangerous, or it's debilitating. And this morning, we'll be, we'll be tackling this interesting passage in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in which he talks about good eyes and bad eyes. So please turn in a Bible or an app to Matthew 6, verse 22. And as you're turning there, I'm gonna pray for us. Lord, we ask that you would come now and that you would speak to us. We ask now that you would tune our ears to hear your voice ever so clearly. We pray that you would tune our hearts to experience what you have for us. And God, may you open up our spiritual eyes to see you and to see your truth. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. Be glorified and magnified in this place. Amen. Matthew 6, verse 22 and 23 say this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, as we consider these words of our savior, I want to begin by saying that even Pastor John Piper, many of you know who he is. He's a brilliant um, student and communicator of the word. Even he has said that this passage, the meaning of it has escaped him for many, many years. So my initial thought when Pastor Tim gave me this difficult passage was, yeah, it was great, thanks, thanks a lot. I might have even tried to get him to let me preach on something else. But we're in the middle of this series called The Treasure Principle, and it's based entirely on this passage found in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. And Pastor Tim spent last week with the first three verses, where Jesus tells us that our heart follows our treasure, not the other way around. For that reason, we should be investing more into heavenly treasures than earthly ones because heaven is our true eternal home. And then next week, Pastor Tim will finish with the command for us to love God above all things, especially money and possessions. But this week, we are talking about good eyes and bad eyes. And to us, these verses seemingly have nothing to do with money or treasures of any kind. Again, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Okay. (laughs) What does that mean? And I want to warn you, I have seen these verses interpreted incorrectly and applied in a variety of ways that might not be helpful. So this morning, we're going to take a deep dive and see if we might figure out exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Again, this is going to be a deep dive, so let's go. First, let's start with the obvious context clues. What does Jesus say right before and after he begins talking about eyes? Well, there's a heavy focus on treasure and money. So unless Jesus has this squirrel moment, this, this tan- tangent moment, then we have to believe that Jesus is still, did anyone look for a squirrel when I did that, by the way? No, okay, see, I just did it. Unless Jesus is doing something like that, then we have to believe he's still on the same subject. Second, we're gonna pull back a little bit further. Right before our passage, this entire passage, Jesus is talking about fasting. And he instructs the crowd to practice this discipline in secret so as not to draw attention to themselves. Then chapter six, verse 18 says, God sees what you do in secret and rewards your devotion to him. We should not be concerned about recognition for our good deeds, but instead should look forward to the praise that comes from our heavenly father who sees our humble service. And then right after our passage, starting in verse 25, this famous teaching from Jesus about the fact that we should not worry about our lives. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And I don't want you to miss that these passages all flow together. Jesus teaches on money, but right before he does, he tells his listeners that they should serve God quietly and not seek out earthly recognition. And then after he teaches on money, he tells the people not to worry about their lives and their provisioning. This is on purpose and it informs our understanding of this treasure principle. Before this morning's passage, Jesus instructs us to humbly serve God in secret. So when you give money, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not give money in hopes of achieving human recognition or status or control or power. And then after this morning's passage, Jesus encourages us not to worry because he will provide everything that we need. Therefore, we can freely give away our resources without fear. And I wanna zoom out one more layer and consider what, where this passage is located in Matthew's Gospel. It's smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, Jesus' most famous teaching, he detailed what the life of a disciple looks like in the kingdom of heaven. So with that in mind, our passage this morning is not merely a suggestion on how we might rethink about things or how we rethink our lives or our resources. It's a call it's a call to obedience. It's a call to radical discipleship. So when Jesus tells us that we have to have healthy eyes, we better figure out what he means by having healthy eyes, and then we better pray that the Holy Spirit would equip us and empower us with healthy eyes. We need to become a people, with excuse the pun, that doesn't really apply anymore this year, 2020 vision, right? Everyone doesn't want 2020 vision anymore. <laughs> All right, so let's get to the bottom of this. What are healthy eyes and what are bad eyes? We see that the eye is the lamp of the body. Does that mean that the light is within the body and makes its way out through the eye? Well, a lot of people interpret it that way. But why then would a healthy eye make for a healthy body? Jesus would have said it the other way around, wouldn't he? He would have said, if your body is healthy, then your eye would be healthy. But he doesn't say that. He says that the eye is the lamp, and if the eye is good, then the entire body will be good, be full of light. Therefore, I think it's more accurate to say that the eye is functioning as a window through which the light enters. It's the entry point of the body. And a healthy eye does not hinder the light from passing through. And the the light is the spirit of God, is Christ from entering us and allowing our whole body to be illuminated. On the other hand, if our eye is not functioning properly, then that means the light cannot enter. And then our eyes Our bodies remain in darkness. If our eye goes bad, then our whole body goes bad. Where we focus our vision then matters immensely. Our focus should be on the light, should be on the things of God. The healthy eye would see heaven as more valuable and the bad eye would see the earth as more valuable. But if you're like me, then you're still just a little bit lost on how this actually applies to money, since we're talking about money in this, in this series. So pretty soon, many of us will be doing something extremely important. We will be watching the classic movie, A Christmas Story. right? So no one, you guys gotta watch Christmas Story. There's this scene in that movie where Ralphie tears open this package excitedly and inside's a decoder ring. And he runs over to the radio and he listens to his favorite radio show, Little Orphan Annie. And he gets his decoder ring out and he's gotta decipher this cryptic message and it ends up being just a crummy commercial for Ovaltine. (laughs) Well, I think I have the decoder ring but it's not a crummy commercial in the end. I think I've found a way to decipher a little bit of what Jesus is saying. So first we have to look at if these words are used elsewhere in scripture. And then we also have to consider the cultural implications. And luckily we don't have to look far to find Jesus actually using this same phrase. In fact, Jesus uses it right in Matthew's Gospel. However, our English translations don't translate it the same way, so we miss it. It is found in the parable of the labors in the vineyard. It's the text that was just read to you from Matthew 20. In this story, a property owner hired several workers to do some labor in the vineyard. The first workers agreed on a set wage for the job, but then throughout the day, he hired more and more workers at different times. Some of them worked long hours and others barely worked at all. Yet in the end, they were all paid the same amount of money. And the people who worked all day were miffed. And that is the, the nicest way I can put it in church. They were miffed, they were frustrated, they complained. But the landowner had paid them their mutually agreed upon wage. So he did not in any way shortchange them. That's important. He didn't shortchange them. Instead, he chose to be generous to the other men who worked shorter hours. Then he asked the disgruntled employees these two rhetorical questions. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Someone have a Bible, and can you just... Flip really quickly to Matthew 20, verse 15, and read that to me. Be bold and read it. Rick. I see Rick's ready. Am I not allowed to do in what I choose to what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? Okay, it says, do you begrudge my generosity? Is there a little note in your Bible or on that app? There is, right? Yes, yes. what does it say? Or is your... The literal translation is, or is your eye bad because I am good? Something's going on here, right? Jesus is using a cultural idiom, a saying that people in that time and place would have immediately understood. And we still use idioms like this today, don't we? You know, like, break a leg, or uh, bite the bullet, or something that will actually be phased out here shortly is probably, uh, what is it, go back to the drawing board? There won't be drawing boards pretty soon, right? So go back to the drawing board. And some of our idioms um, are actually only understood by certain generations or by certain cultures. Watch, I'm going to demonstrate it right now. Who here knows what armed to the teeth means? Okay, a few of you. The rest of you, I assume, don't. (laughs) So armed to the teeth is an idiom that we can kind of figure out what it means, but the origin of it is it goes back to the 1600s with pirates. And the pirates would carry two guns in their arms and teeth, I mean, teeth, they would have teeth. They would put a knife in their teeth. So they would be literally armed to the teeth. But nowadays, we just say armed to the teeth and it means you just got a lot of weapons like Terminator or Rambo. At one point, something can be part of our common language and it would make sense to most people. But as its usage slowly slips away, then so does its meaning. Because listen, if we had never heard that phrase before, armed to the teeth, then how would we make any sense of it? On the surface, it, it really doesn't make any sense. And on the surface, Jesus's words about good eyes and bad eyes do not make much sense to us. But this obscure little teaching or saying of Jesus is actually still used today. David Biven of the Jerusalem perspective shed light on this for me. He says that even to this day in Jerusalem, every two to three days, a truck will drive around the neighborhoods and they'll have one of those loudspeakers. And from the loudspeakers, they will announce in Hebrew something like this. Merciful Jews, we have this lady here who needs an operation abroad and the family doesn't have any money. Would you please come and contribute with a good eye? It means give generously. It's a well-known Hebrew idiom, pertaining to how we deal with our money. Those people with good eyes are gracious, kind, and generous. Jesus is telling his followers to be those type of people. Conversely, he's warning not to be stingy, not to be jealous. That would be us having bad eyes. And then there's one final meaning that I wanna draw out of this text. This word that many of our Bibles translate to healthy is actually the Greek word hapless. And hapless can be translated as single. If your eye is single, your body will be full of light. And there may be an essence here of our vision needing to be singular, to be focused. As followers of Jesus, our attention should be fixed upon Jesus. We should be single-minded and undistracted. When we take our eyes off of him and his grace, then our eyes inevitably become flooded with the darkness and that greed that comes with living in this world. This fills us with darkness. And when we consider the parable of the labors in the vineyard, we get this realization that a bad eye is one that is embittered and selfish. Even though those, remember, those initial workers got their fair wage and a, and a much needed job for the day, right? They were unable to celebrate the good fortune of their fellow man. Their bad eyes led them to a place of entitlement. They felt like they should have more but they got exactly what was promised to them. And Christians, I got to warn you, having a feeling of entitlement is a dangerous place to be because as Christians, we know exactly what we're entitled to and praise be to God that he shows us grace instead. But this is something that we all still struggle with the temptation to have bad eyes is literally all around us. You just gotta walk through town, right? We live in an area of the world that enjoys an unbelievable amount of wealth. Seriously. I mean, one of the most rich places in the entire world. And due to that wealth, we have this one upmanship that happens. We have to fight against it or our spiritual eyesight becomes blurred. The culture we find ourselves a part of, it, it values competition and consumption and indulgence. I'm just, take something, for example, the concours, okay? So the concours rolls into town. Listen, I'm not a car guy. It just annoys me that there's just extra traffic here, but I, I understand it. This is a great tradition that many people enjoy, right? Some of you are a part of it, and it, it gains tons of money for, for good causes. But during this week, our peninsula is flooded with vehicles worth probably hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Is that an over or an under, right? It's probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Beautiful, unique, and expensive cars are paraded right in front of our eyes. Even the the most humble ones of us, like that's right in front of our faces. We get that tinge of envy or even anger of like, how do they spend so much money on the car? That's our reaction. It's a literal showcase of earthly treasures. And the examples are, are endless, right? You've got competition over houses, wine collections, clothes, and for me, golf clubs. I just splurged and got some Kirkland brand golf clubs. Fantastic. If they don't work, I'll just bring them back. I'm not here today to tell you all that that you need to sell everything and give it to the poor, like Jesus told the rich young ruler. I'm not telling you that. If the Holy Spirit is telling you that, you might want to listen. But I'm not telling you that today. Today, what I want to... Talk to you about is the biblical concept of generosity. You, if you don't walk out of here with this, then I've, I've failed. A good eye is a generous eye. A bad eye is a stingy eye. This is how John Piper puts it. Have an eye that prefers heaven over earth and God over money. Have an eye that prefers heaven over earth and God over money. Generosity is a demonstration of preference. What do you prefer? As Pastor Tim discussed last week, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I would say this, where your treasure is, there your preference will be also. How you spend and invest your money immediately indicates what you prefer. And I don't know about you, but that right there, that convicts me. When I take an inventory of my treasures, it shows a preference for earthly comfort and leisure. And if I'm being completely honest with you all, I'm not as generous as I could be. Now that's not to say that I am not generous. I give money to the church. I give money to missionaries and to young life. All I'm saying, is I could be more generous. And I think you all can be too, to stretch a little bit further and be more generous. There's also something implicit to what Jesus is telling us to do. This idiom he uses has to do with vision. Throughout Matthew's gospel and really all of the gospels, Jesus has this focus on the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They're one and the same. Our vision should be set on the kingdom of God and its advancement on earth. Therefore, our generosity should be directed towards people, places, and things that seek to bring forth that kingdom. This is an absolutely vital part of how we should utilize our God-given resources. I don't want you all to miss this. A good eye is a generous eye, but it's also an eye that has a vision for the things of Christ. It has kingdom vision. Jesus fed people and he healed the sick, but more than that, he taught them and showed them the way to eternal life and our heavenly father. That's the gospel. Jesus made a way for broken and sinful people to be in right relationship with a holy and just God. It was the purpose of Jesus's mission. And if that is our Lord's mission, then that should be what we give to, to see that proliferate to the ends of the earth. When I think of the people that call Carmel Prez home, I I know that you're a generous people, but I also know that that your mailboxes, your phones, your email is just filled with people who are vying for your support. But there is no cause more worthy or near to the heart of Jesus than seeing his light spread through a dark world. Yes, we should care for the widows, the orphans, and the aliens among us, but we should do so in the name of Jesus in the hope that they might know Jesus. Let me try and convince you of this. We were purchased at a great cost. Jesus' death was the payment and now our lives are not our own. We owe him everything for ransoming us from hell, but he also saved us from our former lives. We now know God and his power and his provision. We have been restored. Each of us who already knows Jesus has a testimony. Now, I understand some here never know a day in their lives that they didn't know the love of Jesus. But for those of us who do remember those days, how much better is it on this side to know our Savior, to have life abundant? Don't you want that for other people? Don't you know that the most important thing in this life is a relationship with Christ? That's the vision. It's christ alone. Give with a good eye to the church and to organizations and to people who share that same kingdom vision. And give generously in the name of Christ who has given everything that we have. What could be better? What could bring more joy? What could be more strategic? You all might remember that last year we took a team of high school students down to Mexico. And it's because of your faithfulness and your generosity that we were able to purchase the materials and build a house for a family in need. But we partnered with an organization that shares the same vision as us. It wasn't about the house. It was about a man hearing the hope of Christ and receiving him and who is now destined for eternity with us. That is the heavenly treasure. And that is what we should be investing in. We should be praying for more of it, that we might see more treasure in heaven like that. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, it is hard. It is hard with all of the distractions around us, all of the shiny, fun things at our disposal. God, but when we get a taste of investing in your kingdom, when we get that vision, there is just nothing more exciting. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would change our hearts, that you would just completely change the way we look at our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures, that we might all be a people with good eyes that Carmel Presbyterian Church would be known for their generosity, for their kingdom mindfulness. Jesus, we thank you for everything that you've given us. Help us to look for other ways that we can not only serve this community in our world, but how we can serve one another, that we can help each other out as well, Jesus. We're so thankful for everything that you've given us. It's in your holy name. Amen.